This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, PDPob, and today I'm going to be talking about the brand new Tyranids. But before I do that, I would like to quickly apologize. This episode isn't going to be as long as some of my other ones, and the reason being is I had a guest for this episode all lined up, but unfortunately, plans fell through. They actually fell through twice. We were supposed to record early on in the week. That didn't work. And then we we're supposed to record later on in the week. And then that didn't work. And, and that's just one of the things about being an adult. W- one thing I, I cherish about the 40K community is the everyone is, is a lot older than in other communities that I've been in. Uh, for example, the Magic the Gathering community. The Magic Gathering community, yes, there are people who are older with jobs and kids who play magic and more so than previously when I first started playing but the magic community in general is a lot younger than the 40k community and the same thing with like the Pokemon community and the League of Legends and the video game Halo community those communities just tend to be younger because those games are a lot more accessible to younger people whereas 40k is a game with a lot of money investment a lot of time investment you have these models And not only are these models something you play with, but they're also something you cherish and keep and they're an investment and you, you know, you experience the models and the paint jobs and, and the coolness and all of that stuff. And that's just something that's just a little bit more mature and a little bit older, which is generally why I think more people who play 40k are generally on the older side and and older, of course, is a relative term. I'm not saying that like 90 year olds play 40k, but you know, older than other games and other game systems. So, anyways, that being said, it's hard to get it's hard to get people. It's hard to get guests on every week consistently. You know, we're we're adults. We have daily lives. I have a child. I have a one year old. Yeah, you know, other people have lives. They are on holidays. We're coming up to Thanksgiving, so there's going to be a lot of traveling for Thanksgiving and you know the December. So if I don't have a lot of guests, I do apologize. I will do my absolute best. But that is what happened here. We just had a guest. Unfortunately, we couldn't meet up. We couldn't match our schedules, and we couldn't get the interview. So that's one of the reasons why this episode is going to be a shorter. The other reason is I decided I wanted to take a shorter episode today. It's we're, we're winding up towards the end of Thanksgiving. I decided to spend a lot of time with my family this weekend, uh, which means I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this episode, so I do apologize. I do have a lot still to talk about, and we'll see how long I can talk, but I don't, I don't see it going longer than an hour or two. Now, transitioning from that, because I realized that it is really hard to get guests on every week, and I've been debating this idea back and forth whether I should get a co-host or not, and I've decided that I would leave it up to you guys. So, two things. One, 
co-hosts there uh reason why i haven't had a co-host previously in the past for this ep- for this show is because it's very hard to schedule a single guest you know week in and week out every single week you know, we have to get our schedules to align and on top of that if i had a co-host that would be just another person to align their schedules with and that's actually very challenging so podcasts like uh the long war network um they're the probably the one the long war the, the probably the podcast that that speaks out to me the most that does that. But they, when they occasionally have a guest, you know, because they, they're people like Robbie B and Kenny Boucher on opposite sides of the country. And they already get four to five people to come up for one podcast. And I wouldn't even imagine how long that takes to edit. But the the point is, is that it's a very difficult thing to do. And unless you have people who are already dedicated to this certain time, you have to be here for this time. Boom, done. We're recording. Uh, that's cool, but I don't have that. I don't have a, a scheduled guest. And you might think, well, like Reese and Frankie, they might be an option. Uh, but there's another problem in that I can have Reese and Frankie on the podcast. And not only are they very busy, but it would also be very difficult because we'd have to record. And then we'd have to set up the way our rig is set up right now. We can't really bring someone on live to talk to us and then record at the office. Well, I guess I guess we could. We'd all just be on Skype. I guess I could do it if I wanted to. I guess the big reason is Reese and Frankie are very busy. And a lot of times when I ask them to come on the episodes uh, in the past previously, they've just, there's always been that scheduling conflict too, right? So anyways, having said all that, that's the reason why I haven't had a co-host. Second problem with the co-host is I need someone who's very, very involved. It's it's very, very hard to find co-hosts who are, who, who are really into competitive 40k and who will fit my my criteria for what I want for the podcast, right? I want I want to talk about tournament news and I, I want to stay far away from the hobby, as far away from the hobby as I can, but still kind of allude to the hobby because it is still part of the game. And I, I, I want my podcast to, to reach out to as many members of the community as I can. And being a pure competitive 40K podcast in a community that is primarily not competitive is already very niche. So I, I want to fit that niche, but at the same time, I, I want to be as open-minded and and basically cater to as wide of an audience as I can, right? So that's why I try to focus my content towards more casual competition, more casual competitive 40k, and why you know I don't I don't bring in like pro player after pro player and we just talk endless, you know, and and that might be something you guys want more of. Uh, let me know. I always like it when people email me frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com and let me know what they like and what they don't like what they want to hear because this is i do recognize the fact that i'm one of the very very few competitive 40k podcasts and i i think i think i'm the only podcast that actually focuses on just competitive 40k i think the rest of the podcasts do other things and that might be a bad thing that might, that might be limiting myself I, I like to think not but might be the case anyways I, I know i am one of those niche 40k competitive podcasts so Maybe maybe I should just stick that stick with that and run with that and go all the way with that. But let me know what you guys want to want to hear and what you guys want to want me to do essentially because I'm I'm here sitting down every week doing this for you guys. I, I'm also doing it for myself, but primarily I'm doing it for you guys to listen and for you guys to you know make yourselves better. People tell me consistently that they either they call when they call Frontline Gaming and they talk to me or or they see me at an event or email people Facebook. People tell me consistently that I've helped them, you know, become better players. I've helped them make their list, or I've helped them want to come back into competitive 40k. Uh, it just, it, which which is flattering. It's it's very very flattering, and that's the whole purpose of this podcast. But 
you know, I think I'm doing the right thing here. Uh, anyways, let me know what you guys think. So, all that, all that being said, if you guys do want to co-host, I've decided that I would like to host open auditions for a co-host. I do have a few people in mind already who I think would be very interested and very capable to being co-hosts. Uh, I'm not going to name any names because I, I haven't even talked to them. This is just something that's come up over the last day or two, so I haven't had the chance to ask anyone, and I don't want to put anyone on the spotlight or unfairly put them out there, so you know, pressure them into making a decision they may or may not want to do. So I do have a few people in mind, but do you guys have anyone in mind, or is there any people that... Maybe they have uh, weekends free or they have Thursday nights free. That's generally when I like to record is Thursday or, or Wednesday nights. But let let me know, or if you I, if you want to host, if you want if you want to become a co-host, or if you want to come on Chapter Tactics, let me know. I, I ask that you have these three simple requirements. Uh, you need to have some weekday nights available. Typically, you know, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday. I like recording at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's when I get off work. That's what easiest for me. I can just stay at the office and record there. Uh, but I can do weekends as well. But I'd prefer you have a couple nights of the week get weekday off. That'd be cool. Two, you need to have a good recording mic. I, I want I want to make sure that people can hear you and that it's nice and clear and that there's not a lot of editing I have to do. So have a good recording mic. Have, be available. And finally. You need to know the content. Uh, you need to know a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't require that you play a game of 40k every week. Uh, even I don't do that, right? There, there are players that do do that. And when I was going to tournaments back back in September, I was playing games of 40k consistently. I was trying to get as many games as I can on top of the tournaments because I wanted to do the best I could. However, you don't. Ha I won't require you to have to play a lot of 40k games, but you do have to talk to other competitive 40k players on the regular you have to be one of those people who is actively involved in a competitive 40k community right so there there are people that play games that you talk to and you're like oh wow well i'm sorry your swarm lord sucked but maybe how how did those harpies do but i know and they've been working hard on those harpies or whatever x x conversation you know that so those three requirements so if you can fit those three requirements go ahead and give me a shout out at uh, via email is probably the best way to do it frontline gaming pdpab at gmail.com if you think you have the time you know you have the recording mic and you, you really want it you really like talking about this competitive 40k and tournaments etc hit me up I, I am going to start looking for co-hosts and then what i'll probably do is sometime after either in the middle of january or after the las vegas open probably after the las vegas open because that's that's when things slow down for me I'll go ahead and have either open tryouts, or if by then I already have a co-host decided, I'll do that too. But I think it should be kind of cool. I'm excited. I really I really want a co-host to help bounce ideas back and forth. It makes the talking less stressful for me, because after about an hour and a half of talking, my voice gets a little strained. It's a it's a little little hard. I, I, know, I know a lot of people like... Uh, specifically Colin Coward if you listen to sports radio he's he's on Fox radio I know it's Fox whatever but if if you're liberal or you know never mind let's not get political point is he's on Fox radio Colin Coward he's one of my favorite sports radio hosts uh, he he's just he talks non-stop and he has Christine Leahy who's kind of like a backup she'll chime in every now and then but there are times when when Colin talks for hours and hours and he usually has one or two guests uh, that are they're really really interesting uh, but for the most part for the first hour, Colin just talks and, you know, it, it, it's really, it's really kind of cool to hear people like Jeff in control and, uh, Colin Cowherd and, um, uh, Charlie Rose, 
you know, just to people who, who talk and then just can continue to talk and, and they continue to be entertaining. That's something I really want to strive to be. So it's really cool. That That's kind of the vibe I wanted to get with the podcast. So I'd like to keep it that way, but that's also very challenging. So co-host, long story short, co-host would be awesome. And, uh, you guys now know r- roughly what, who my, uh, my dreams are, who I aspire to be now. Anyways, on to 40 K stuff. So, uh, we have a controversy coming out. Uh, we had the SoCal Open, which was the previously before the Wars in Atlanta's largest forty largest forty k event that had just happened, right? And at the SoCal Open, if you're unaware, in the top tables we had Brandon Grant and Ryan Mead. Brandon Grant and Ryan Mead were playing each other. They were on Twitch stream, and then someone in Twitch, some intrepid young Twitch internet warrior, looked up Ryan's list. And I'm not shaming them. They they did something that happens all the time on the internet. It's perfectly okay to check someone's list online. So. This this young list warrior, this list-checking hero, checked Ryan Mead's list and found it to be illegal, right? So, of course, I was judging there. We, we all got together. We decided what we were going to do, and we decided to disqualify Ryan Mead, but we were still going to play the game. Now, whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to sit here and defend our actions. However, it did happen, and that's something that's actually very common in list building in 40K. Now, I said this months and months ago when list building started that there would be lists that that people would mess up on when eighth edition came out right that it was just it was bound to happen i mean it happened in seventh edition and of course it's going to happen in eighth edition right so we we knew there were going to be problems with eighth edition and i'm still looking at this itc season as just a premiere or or a preview to what eighth edition is really going to be like which is going to be after all the codexes get released so we're not there yet. So I, I still think we're kind of like in a, a beta test for 8th edition until all the codexes come out. And after chapter approved, that'll be the big, that'll be a huge step forward into going, continuing into 8th edition. The point is, is that was six months ago, right? Ba- back in, back in, maybe, yeah, five, five months ago, five, almost half a year ago, right? When 8th edition came out, we were all pumped. We were all excited. And essentially now, now that, it's been half a year. There shouldn't be so many illegal lists in the top tables. Now, maybe it's because of codexes. Maybe maybe it's because people haven't really treated 8th edition seriously because they're waiting for the all of all the codexes to come out, waiting for chapter approved to come out. Maybe it's the weird way that you, you build lists in 8th edition where the upgrade costs are at the back instead of the front. Who knows? I, I, I don't know. I can't really explain it to you, uh, but it's still a little bit more of a problem than it was in previous editions. And just because, you know, a few players in the top table, for example, Ryan Mead and then Andrew Whitaker at Warzone Atlanta, who did a great job, he won, but he was, he was unfortunately, he did have an illegal list. Uh, and his list was an illegal relic. It wasn't over points or under points. Um, it was just, it was, he took a, a relic, an illegal relic on a unit that couldn't take it, uh, which is a very simple mistake, a very easy mistake to look up, but it's still illegal. And then Warzone Atlanta handled it differently than us at the SoCal Open. Uh, however, I'm not here to talk about that. I just want to let you know that just because these two top tables, these two players at these events, top players at the events, one of them won, one of them almost won the event, just because they, they're at least for illegal, they're not, they're not a rare anomaly, right? They're, uh, they're a representation of a larger whole, a larger group of people who have illegal lists. I imagine for every Ryan Mead and Andrew Whitaker in the 40k community and in 40k tournaments that you find, you'll probably find like an extra 10 guys 
right, who who have an illegal list that they never found out that their list is illegal. And this is just something that happens, right? So I don't want to I don't want to give out any blame. I don't want to blame anyone. I don't, I don't want to you know ostracize people. I, I just I want to make sure that the community knows going forward that a list building is still complicated and building an illegal list is a problem. And it's not something that we should take lightly. So just keep that in mind when you're building your list. There are list resources out there. There is an ITC list checking group if you're playing in ITC events. And you can use the ITC list checking group for non-ITC events. We don't care. So you go into the ITC list checking group, put your list up, say, hey, is this list legal? Is this not legal? Et cetera, et cetera. You can send it to me now. I this is I understand that this is a, a big burden on my part, but if you want to send your list to me, and, and give me, you know, a couple weeks, give me a deadline, be like, hey, this is a list for a tournament, et cetera, et cetera. And then let me know if you change the list so I don't tell you that your list is illegal and then you find out, you know, and it just waste my time. Um, but if you want to send your list to me, I, I do Space Marine lists. I'm very, very good at checking because I, I know the codex inside and out and Imperium lists. I'm obviously not as good with Chaos lists and Tyranid lists and Eldar lists, but I'll do the best I can. But if you want another layer of defense against checking for an illegal list, I will at the very least calculate your points and and tell you if you're not if you're at 2,000 points or not or if you've made a mistake, right? Uh, there, there are other tools you can ask friends. You can go to small tournaments. This weekend there was a tournament at the Game Empire at Addy's Games down here in SoCal. There were eight people that showed up, but a little small tournament like that. If you show up with an illegal list, I doubt the TO is going to care. I I pretty sure that people are just there to either practice for bigger tournaments or to have a good time so it's a lot more casual there so that's a good place to get make sure your list is legal uh, you know you can go online you can enter your list into third parties like battle scribe though you don't want to rely completely on that and that's basically how you prevent that is you don't rely on just one source you know you you build your list right you you open your codex or if you have it on your tablet or phone uh, which i find the people with with inaccurate lists tend to not have their rules with them. That's just so, something I've noticed in general. Is I've, I, if I see an illegal list, I'm like, oh, well, check your CODIS. We'll check the points cost. And they're like, oh, it's it's somewhere else. It's at home. Or, oh, it's on my phone. And they spend like an hour searching for the right page on their phone. Right? It, it's just that seems to be the case more and more with illegal lists is that players with illegal lists tend to have tend to not have the physical copies of their rules with them. Obviously, that's not always the case. That's not an absolute However, that is a trend that I did haven't been noticing recently, and I have noticed it in the past as well. So, moving on. Make sure that you, you have all your materials in front of you and you're ready to go when you build your list. You know, you don't half-ass it. I've, I've made a mistake of building my list, you know, half-assed and not trying, and I've been like 100 points down because I forgot to put a 1, you know, I, I put a 6 instead of a 5 or something something silly, some stupid error, right? And then it makes me look like an idiot because I actually play online in battle reports for other people who point out who are inevitably going to point out these errors right so make sure you have all your materials in front of you and you have your calculator or whatever you need and you recheck your list over and over and over then go to a third party app you know battle scribe whatever put your list in there do the same thing boom done then maybe go to an itc list checking group or ask your buddy hey could you check this list for me make sure it's anything good does everything look good and then finally once you're done with all that play with it a few times just sometimes just by playing with a list people people will, will realize like oh you're doing something that shouldn't be done for example andrew whitaker if he'd played someone who was a guard player consistently I, and i'm not saying he hadn't but there'd probably be a better chance 
if if he had played like ten guard players, you know, I'm hundred percent sure one of them would have been like, hey, uh, you know, your your psyker can't take that relic, right? Because you're playing other people who know your list. You're you're playing ten different people who hopefully have built forty k lists in forty k before, and you know you're you're playing with something on the line. You're playing you know mostly for bragging rights, but when when that level of competition goes higher, when you start playing games. You know, people start noticing different things. They start getting a little bit more rules lawyery. You know, they start nitpicking. They start, you know, playing a little better, measuring more precisely, and of course, also reading your rules and making sure that you're playing legally. Right? That just happens in in any game, in any game consistently. At least if you're playing 40k competitively. If you're playing just with beer and pretzels to have a good time, and you're not preparing for a large tournament like Warzone Atlanta. You're probably not going to find any problems with your list. But, who knows? So anyways, play games, check with third party, check with other people, and then triple check and make sure you do your homework. And that's it. That's all you have to do. You you should do your homework. If if you are going to an event and people expect you to paint your models and to spend the time to paint your models so that they can their experience playing tournaments can be better, they, you should also expect other people to expect you to make sure you have all your materials and make sure your list is legal, make sure you show up with all your models and you don't have any proxies so that their tournament experience isn't ruined because that's that's kind of an unwritten law uh y- you know in the 40k competitive community, right? So y- you should you should do unto others as you would have them do unto you, so to speak, right? Uh social contract is a word that people people throw around a lot. So so the social contract is you show up, you're ready to go for the tournament. I don't care if you if you traveled 20 hours or tw- 20 minutes, right? Make sure you're prepared and ready for that tournament, especially a big one like Wars in Atlanta and Las Vegas Open. Huge one, please. So that's it. That's all I wanted to say about that. Um, if you have an illegal list, I'm obviously I'm not mad at you. I've had illegal lists. I've taken illegal lists to tournament. It sucked, but you got to own up to it, and you got to make sure that your, your lists are legal any way they can. You have to make sure that you're prepared as as much as anyone else is or as much as you expect other people to be. Right? So, that's it. Just wanted to get that out of the way. That's the new hotness in the 40k competitive scene. Now, right now the Renegade Open is going on. I don't have any information on it. I, I have a few people that are playing in the Renegade Open, though I don't know exactly how they're doing. So that'll be next week. So if you're looking for Renegade Open results, I'm sorry, uh, I don't have much, don't know much what's going on right now, but next week I'm sure I'll find out a lot. And then also, I guess actually you guys will probably know because this, you guys will probably be listening to this podcast on Monday the 20th. So you guys will know a little bit more than me, but as I'm recording this, the Renegade Open is going on right now currently, and I don't know the results yet. So we'll talk about that next week. Uh, Warzone Atlanta results, I decided not, I wasn't going to expand any further on them. I feel like they've been beaten to death. And if you listen to this podcast, you're probably in a lot of the same media avenues that I'm in. So you probably know about the list controversies and who lists one. And I think Val Heffelfinger did a really good job of talking about the lists uh, on on the last week's episode and talking about who won, who lost, etc. Uh, you pretty much, you pretty much all you need to know is they 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 did best overall instead of uh, best general for ITC points. So the three best overall players were uh, were. Andrew Whitaker's guard, Orcs made the top five, uh, Chaos, you know, that's pretty much it. The usual suspects. Other than the other than Val's Orcs, um, you didn't see a lot of uh, variety 
There was an Eldar player as well. So, moving on. Tyranids. I I would just like to say that after after much much debate and thinking in the frontline gaming office, uh, we feel like Tyranids are probably the strongest codex. Uh, we I've talked to Reese, I've talked to Frankie, talked to Jeff and Control Robinson, who was here last week playing with his Tyranids. Talked to James Carmona, really really good Chaos player, uh, a guy a 40k player I really respect, and we all came to the conclusion that Tyranids are extremely powerful. And they are. I played two games with against Tyranids. I'll talk about them a little bit later, right after I talk about this. But uh, Tyranids are really powerful, and I can't wait to see what Blood Angels and Dark Angels are getting. Though I, I just I struggle to imagine that they're getting anything more powerful than Tyranids, just because they're not an entire faction, right? Like Dark Angels and Blood Angels. Like I get, especially Dark Angels. Dark Angels have a lot of models, but Blood Angels really don't have a lot of unique models to their names. Especially as much as Dark Angels. Dark Angels have two entire sub-factions in their big faction. So they could essentially be a Space Marine-esque faction with normal Dark Angels. They could be Deathwing or Ravenwing. Right? With Blood Angels, you have Flesh Terrors and regular Blood Angels. And that's it. And I understand that Blood Angels have unique models. They have Librarian Dreadnoughts. They have Furioso Dreadnoughts. Death Company. The Sanguinary Guard, etc., etc. Ball Predators. But... I just, I feel like, and this is, I haven't seen the codexes yet, obviously. Uh, So this is just me predicting and spitballing here. But I just, I feel like two Space Marine codexes aren't going to be as powerful as the Tyranid codex. So it's safe to say that I think the Tyranid codex is probably going to be the second strongest codex going into the new year. Followed by the Chaos Space Marine codex, which I think is probably the strongest codex. Uh, You might be, you might argue with me, you might think Guard are the strongest codex. And you wouldn't be wrong. They're definitely in the top three but I, I don't know. I just Tyranid Codex is really strong, and that's the other thing too. Is Eldar Code? The Eldar Codex is also really, really strong. Played a lot of games with the Eldar Codex against the Eldar Codex, and those Eldar are really, really good. They're really tricky, uh, especially if you're a really good fundamental player with a lot of tricks who likes playing a lot of cool, interesting things and gotcha moments. You know, very comboy synergy type player. Eldar are perfect for you. Uh, Tyranids are currently the uh, Space Marines of old. They, they are the faction that does everything. They have shooting, they have close combat, they have psychic phase, they have good anti-psychic phase, they have good stratagems, they have good powers, uh, they they have good mobility, they're obsec, they can flood the board, they have good line of sight, or line of sight ignoring shooting. It's just, Tyranids right now are probably the best well-rounded all-around faction, I think now. Uh, yes, yes, I think so. I think they're the best all-around faction. So, my games with Tyranids. I played a few games. Uh, I want to. I want to highlight two games in particular. Uh, one game, the which you guys can actually watch on Battle Reports on FrontlineGaming.org. You can go to YouTube, our YouTube channel. It's Ultramarines versus New Tyranids is the title, and that's the game I played with Reese. So, first thing I want I want to say is um, this is my this was my first game playing against Tyranids. I played a few games with Tyr- against Tyranids before then. And I have a funny relationship with Tyranids in that when I first started playing 8th edition and I was learning how to play, you know, I, I didn't know anything, right? I was barely learning how to play. Uh, Reese had actually, as you guys probably already know, Reese and Frankie are playtesters. They playtested 8th edition for Games Workshop. And a lot of the cool, interesting things in 8th edition, you can kind of thank them for. You can thank the rest of the playtester team for that because I feel like the playtesters have had a really good positive impact on 8th edition now uh, right obviously I can't 
obviously I can't tell you what what they have or haven't changed, etc. I, I obviously I wouldn't I don't know and I wouldn't tell you even if I did, but I I, I think it's safe to assume that the playtesters had a positive change on eighth edition. Eighth edition feels a lot more streamlined, feels a lot fairer. Uh, Codex eighth edition, anyways. Um, so Reese was a playtester when I first started playing eighth edition. And he already knew all the rules. He he helped me, he walked me through everything, how to play. I got a quick jump start in 8th edition. And he played as Tyranids the entire time. And I was getting smoked. I still remember my very first game of 8th edition. I had a Space Marine Captain and some tact- Tactical Squad and a Land Raider and a Dreadnought, an Autocannon Dreadnought, because I, to- I was told that they were really good. And this was indexes only. So this is this is way back when the indexes first came out. And... Reese had Gene Steelers and a Broodlord and some Gaunts and a Warrior Squad. I thought, oh, I'm going to shit on this list. This is this is no fair, right? Uh, I think I also had a Bike Command Squad, right? Gene Steelers move up, run, advance. I'm like, okay, whatever, fine. I'll just ignore them. They're Gene Steelers. Um, and I shot all the Gaunts because OPSEC is important. Killing an OPSEC is important. And I knew the Tyranids were going to give me in my face, so I thought, eh. But the Tyranids can advance and charge. First thing I didn't know, right? So he moved and advanced them. And then he moved and advanced them, charged my entire army. And then the Broodlord one-on-one the, the Dreadnought and killed the Dreadnought. And then he pretty much tabled me with just Tyranids and the Broodlord. And I couldn't do anything about it. I was like, oh, well, so it's going to be these kind of games. And then w- ever since then, Reese and I, as I'd been playing more games of 8th edition and trying to learn more about the edition, Reese consistently was running his Tyranids because he really enjoyed playing with the Tyranids. He loved his Tyranids. And, the you know, the army was fresh because it, it sucked for so long. So... He was Tyranids, and so I played a lot of my early games of 8th edition against Tyranids, and I didn't win a single one. I got destroyed in all of them, right? I've got stories for days on how, how like, Assault Centurions with Kalgar had to, had to wait for a Land Raider to clear off Carnifexes because they couldn't leave the Land Raider because the Carnifex was in, or the Land Raider was in close combat with, with things, and Reese was just, like, piling on bodies to keep these Assault Centurions from coming out, and eventually a heroic chaplain killed a Carnifex and led the way for those Assault Centurions to come out, kill another Carnifex, and then the game ended. So that was kind of funny. That was my, that was my, oh shit, Land Raiders probably shouldn't be, Land Raiders are easy to be tarpated rules. Like you can't just tank shock out of combat, right? You, you're stuck there. <clears throat> just like, just like in, in old, you know, uh, with any other, just like any other model. If you get surrounded in combat, you can't leave unless you have the fly keyword. Obviously Land Raiders don't fly. So that was a hard, rude awakening for me. But, Tyranids. So, I, I played against them before. I had already read the Codex previously before that game against Reese on, on YouTube. And unfortunately, we with, with, our YouTube, with our YouTube battle reports, we tend to take lists that people will enjoy more, right? We, we tend to take... We do take competitive lists, but we don't... We don't run... Um, we don't run crazy super hard optimized lists that people are going to find unattractive. Uh, for example, my normal tournament list is an Imperium Space Marine list, or an Imperium list in general. It's got a bunch of Grey Knights, it's got Guards, it's got Assassins, it's got Space Marines, Ultramarines. And it's just a very unfun tiered li- or a very unfun list to see, right? So if, if I put, like, Ultramarines, people are like, oh, that's not an Ultramarine list. I'm like, okay, fine. If I put, like, it's an Imperium list, people are like, oh, that's just a shitty Imperial soup list. Like, Im- Imperium cheese, I don't want to see that. And th- though we could just easily say, you know, fuck you to those people, because they, they are, they're, you know, fuck them, they're, they're YouTube, the YouTube comment section garbage, 
right? A lot of those people, those vocal people who, who spend 20 minutes of their time to watch a video and then, you know, bash it, right? I don't, I don't know why they waste their time, but the point is, isn't, isn't that those people affect our decisions? It's that there's a silent majority of people who, who do agree with those people to an extent, right? So, so as content producers and any content producer will tell you this, we have to put out stuff that people want to consume, right? Because as any good content presenter knows, if your product isn't good for consumption, you fail, right? And so we want a good product. We want to put out good battle reports for you guys to consume, um, which means, of course, no no imperial soup list for Pablo, right? And for Reese, no you know stupid gene stealer spam tyranid list or or some hive guard. You know he had a little bit of of everything. He had he had fun lists. He had fun wonky lists. So uh, that's the caveat there, in that that game was not as competitive as a game you would see with Tyranids like at a top table at a, a large event, right? But there's still some things you can learn from it. The first is if you watch that video, I did actually have some some powerful units. You know, I was limited to just Ultramarines, and unfortunately, I forgot a lot of my Ultramarines at home that day because I forgot I was filming. So I left a lot of the ones I wanted to take at home. So I left some powerful combinations at home, which is why maybe that Land Raider that land raider Achilles felt a little shoot in little, little just added on because it was um, because I really wanted to run it, but also it was one of the only models I had lying around. It was either that or like a Vanguard veteran squad and an Imperial Knight, um, which I decided was just a little too weird. So the, the land raider was at least something cool, something I wanted to use, even though it was gray, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is, is it was a competitive ultramarines list. And yeah, even though I went second, even if I had gone, actually I went first, I seized on him. Um, but even if I'd gone, if I'd gone second, the game would have been over immediately. And the aggressors and my shooting didn't do a lot to Reese turn one. And that was, I feel like Jormungandr is the, one of the weaker Tyranid factions. And you might disagree with me and that's okay. Uh, but I feel like the Malanthorpe is such a powerful Forge World unit, such a powerful unit that you always have the minus one to hit. You're always essentially Raven Guard, right? And you're always essentially Alpha Legion or LA talk, or whatever. You always have a minus one hit. Malanthropes are that good. They have nine wounds, just like Gilliman. They have good saves, usually. They give minus one to hit bubbles, uh, to things that can very easily, you know, lengthen out, like Gaunts, right? Who can chain out and get that Malanthrope bubble and still do the things they're supposed to do, right? Or things that sit in the back and shoot you, like Biovores and Hiveguard, right? So the, ex the sole existence of the Malanthrope means that you don't have to take another defensive tyranid tactic faction tactic right so instead of taking Normungunder and malanthrop so i think is redundant which is what you saw in reese's army i think you could take other stuff so having said that holy shit Normungunder and a malanthrop is extremely hard to kill those carnifexes that i was shooting at uh the exocrine all everything i shot at reese's army everything was really hard to kill and yeah i did run gilliman into some termagants like an idiot uh though by my math after two rounds of combat, I would have killed them. I would have killed them before, um, but I didn't roll any sixes. I really only rolled four wounds and one round of combat, which pretty much did me in because then he regenerated ten gaunts into the unit. That was all she wrote. Uh, you guys didn't see that part because we didn't talk about it, and also that happened while the game was going on. Uh, but uh, essentially, I felt like like my list was a really balanced list. It had close combat elements. It had mobility. It had good shooting. And 
it looked like it would match up well with Tyrion with Reese's Tyrion list, and he even admitted that his list would it, our list matched up well. And maybe if I'd played a little smarter, maybe the result would have been different. But the entire time, I felt like every single one of his units outclassed mine. Even Gilman, I felt like Gilman was outclassed by just the the simple bodies, right, or the Carnifex. It's just I felt like Gilman wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, wasn't doing what he needed to, even with all the buffs. Uh, I felt like my shooting was a little outclassed. Uh, obviously, my mobility and my my board control was definitely outclassed. And it, I could see how people who play Tyranids or play against Tyranids would think that their factor is really OP and that may be unfun. So when you look at that game, uh, you, you have to realize that the Tyranids do have a weakness. It's It's close combat, by the way. And I realized this a little too late when I was designing my list. But Tyranids do have a weakness. It's close combat. The, the minus one hit Malanthrope bubble is is good, but obviously it doesn't work in close combat, and it's only three inches. So if you can if you can spread out a Tyranid army and then charge multiple ang for multiple angles, something Eldar are really good at, at Space Marines, uh, Grey Knights can do it really well with the Grey Knight Warlord trait that lets you charge, re-roll your charge distance when they come down. If you can spread out those Tyranid lists and, and force them to play on the entire board and then target the pockets with where the Malanthropes are, with good, hard-hitting close combat units, uh, cheap ones, because essentially what that'll do is that'll either, A, make them give up on that and push your side harder, which means you have to fortify whatever side of the board you're controlling, or B, they turn all their cool, like, Gene Stealers and Carnifexes and Swarm Lords around to protect their side, and then that's when you use your mobility to come around and win the game on the other side, right? So that's just, in general, how I feel you beat Tyranids. That's obviously depends on the Tyranid list, uh, but that's something I saw with uh, when I was playing Jeff and Controls Robinson's list. So that second game, I was actually running my my tournament list, my big, huge, bad tournament list, and I did lose that game as well against Tyranids. But the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I felt like I had a real chance, um, simply because I had a lot of I had a lot of options, and I actually felt like those lists didn't match up as well. So so let me tell you about my list real quick. I have a uh, an Imperium soup brigade detachment with Celestine and and three Primaris Psychers. And then I have four Grey Knight Strike Squads and two Black Templar Scouts. And the Black Templar Scouts are really good. And if you have... your Every faction should have one of these. But there's a stratagem in, in every codex I've seen so far. I think, to my knowledge, most of the codexes I've seen so far, there's a stratagem that on a four-up, you deny a power within 24 inches of this specific unit. Space Marines, it's Black Templar. And Tyranids, it's uh, Kraken? Ooh, I just... Jeff is running them, so I feel like I should know Jeff's faction, whatever Jeff's Tyranid faction is. Uh, World Eaters are the Chaos Space Marine equivalent, etc. So, the you know, there are there are Gaia, the Admech ones, right? So there are factions that are cool anti-Psyker factions. So there's a stratagem that fits those those factions that's on a 4+, plus, you stop a power within 24 inches of this unit, right? So in my case, Black Templar Scouts were really good at that. I'd infiltrate them up, they'd hang out in their building, and they'd stop a power on a 4-up. It's amazing. It, I, I highly recommend it for anyone for anyone's army period. Psychic powers are going to be very, very common. And just being able to cut off, shut off a power on a 4+, plus, either 50% chance or 75% chance if you use your reroll on that 4+, plus, which you should do. You know, just 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 make sure it's just basically two command points shut down someone's power. It's it's really good, right? So, so use that power, 
So anyways, that's why I have the Black Templar Scouts. So my fast attacks are three Grey Knight Interceptor squads. My heavy supports are three Cyclopses. And then my elites are two Elysian Plasma squads and two uh, Elysian Platoon commanders who are the who are the, like, the company commanders, but they're only one order instead of two. They're cheaper and they're elite slots instead of HQ slots. And then I have my Space Marine Raven Guard Detachment with uh, Space Marine Lieutenant, two units of Primaris Aggressors, a Chapter Banner, and the Thunderfart Cannon. So it's a very mobile list. It's a very, very tricky, intelligent list. It's not a list. It's not a sledgehammer list. It's not the kind of list you can just sit down and just either shoot your opponent or run at your opponent. It takes a lot of finesse, uh, which is kind of how I like my armies. I like my armies utilizing a lot of different cool units from other factions, basically strengths from other factions, and then using them to shore up the weaknesses from those same factions. So in this case, the Grey Knights, their psychic powers, they can deny stuff, they can smite things, they can destroy demons like Magnus and Mortarian, and then the Thunderfire Cannon to mess with things where my pockets of resistance, where my Grey Knights might be a little worried to have the movement of things, and then I've got the Command Squad, Scions, to deep strike down and kill stuff, yada yada yada, etc. Plays all around the board. Jeff's list was a, gene, a large Gene Stealer blob, a unit of Hormigants, two Hive Guard, two units of three Hive Guard, two units of three Biovores, the Swarm Lord, a bunch of a bunch of um, Mucolid spores. I think three Mucolid spores, some Ripper Swarms for deep striking, and a couple Malanthropes and Neurothropes. Right, that was basically his list from from memory. So it, it, it's a lower model count list. But I think that that's going to be one of the standard Tyranid lists. Is essentially, I'd like to call it Tyranid good stuff, right? In Magic the Gathering, there's uh, good stuff decks, which are just combinations of the best cards from this color. They don't have particular themes. They're just a bunch of good stuff, right? And that, that might be, that's a very common thing you see in competitive 40k. So Tyranid good stuff. They're balanced lists. They've got close combat. They've got mobility. They've got tricks with the Swarmlord and the Stratagems. They have really good shooting in the Hive Guard and the Biovores. The Biovores also double as bo extra board control because they can drop down, and when they miss, they drop Spore Mines. So you can move the Biovores because they're heavy weapons, so you're hitting on fives instead of fours, which lets you put Spore Mines. Uh, it gives you a better chance for Spore Mines, um, which can block your opponent from charges, can block deep striking from your opponent. It's just it's a very, very good, well-rounded list, and it can do a lot of different things. So when our two lists squared off, I essentially what I did was I baited him into the middle of the board and baited his gene stealers, his swarm lord, and his brood lord into the middle of the board, let them kill black templar scouts, and then I gave him a choice. I, I moved all my dudes back, all my grey knights back, and then th I think this is where I made my mistake, is after I, I made that conscious decision to get him stuck in the middle of the board, I did two things. Uh, one, I dropped all of my grey knights down to kill his gene stealers because they were they were kind of pushed towards my objective, my side, my home objective. And then I, all of my Grey Knight Interceptors and the rest of my Deep Strikers all jumped to his backfield to deal with that. And then my Aggressors were pushing his flank. I would put them there already at the start of the turn, right? So the Primaris Aggressors, they were just distracting him. They were just there to be distraction Carnifexes and to kill his screen to make room for my Deep Strikers to Deep Strike into his backline, which they did successfully. Uh, but I never should have dropped the Grey Knights down to kill the Gene Sitters. I should have waited longer, and that's just something... That's just something that Tyranids are really good at. They're, they're really good at losing a unit and then moving forward and still doing their things. Because their, army their armies have so many 
different elements that if when you completely eliminate one element, the element other elements will start beating you. So in this case, wh what happened was I eliminated the Gene Stealers, the Swarm Lord, who's this big beefy guy, just cut straight through strike squads, and I, I took out his screen, so I took out his ability to control the board with big bodies, but he produced more spores with the Biovores, and then he, he the Biovores are tough enough to to essentially withstand Grey Knight charges. So he basically left the Biovores to die, moved his Hive Guard away, and then he took over the middle of the board, and his, he put all his shooting in the middle of the board, which essentially meant I was on the edges of the board, coming into the middle of the board, and he had control of the middle board, was able to shoot at the units that were threatening him, and without with impunity, without me being able to stop him at all. And then he was able to roadblock me with Spore Mines up until the Biovores died. Just, he played it very, very well, and I lost. So, Jeff, in this case, Jeff beat me with a gun line, but he had the mobility to th pressure me, to to have me fuck up and drop my Granite Strike Squads down. So he put the pressure on me with the Gene Steelers, and I really should have just ignored them and given up my backfield and gone heavy for his backfield and killed all his shooting and then met him in the middle with the majority of my army, which I didn't do. So Tyranids have the ability to put forward pressure with durable units like big Gene Steelers with five-up invulns that can go up to four up saves or three up saves in cover with the minus one hit because he was chaining the back with a Malanthrope. And the Swarm Lord who double moves them, so it's always a threat. The Swarm Lord himself is very hard to kill, very tough. He's a three-up invul in close combat, which is very good. The Brood Lord, who's a character who can make mincemeat of almost any other character in the game. Um, it, it's just, they, they can put forward pressure with such small units. And in uh, lists like James's Chaos List, which I think is probably one of the best Chaos Lists of our time, of this time pre-chapter approved, um, it's it's essentially got the same idea. It's got a bunch of bodies, you know, a, a, a bunch and bunch of bodies, marauders and brimstone horrors and cultists, and then he's got two units of two large units of berserkers and a unit of forty cultists and a cultist bomb, and puts those in your face. They're all alpha legion, so he puts those three big threats in your face. You have to deal with them. And in the meantime, he's covering the entire rest of the board, so you don't really have a way to deep strike and prevent him from doing that. And then he eventually either beats you through attrition or he beats you with the the alpha strike because you're dealing with his bodies that he's covering the board and you're trying to fight them off. So it's a very, very good list. Tyranids do the exact same thing, but they have better shooting. So uh, the Hive Guard, they're very good. They have two shots each, strength eight. And so my point is, is that the Tyranid Codex is really powerful and it's going to need, if you play the Tyranid list, you're, there are going to be people inevitably who complain and who who cry that the tyranny list the tyranny codex is too powerful and i'm just letting you know that if you if you are one of those people or if you run into people like that just let them know like hey it's very beatable you know you just you have to play uh, you have to bring a balance list you know um or you have to really hammer them hard with close combat really really hard you know make it so they can't get back up um but they can they're very bad they're a very balanced army right on the flip side if you're looking for a really balanced army and you're looking to start a new faction or get into 40k, Tyranids are the right place for you. Uh, you can take a variety of units that that are cool and feel different, so you're not spamming the same thing. And you can interact with your opponent in all the phases of the game. You interact in your movement phase, you affect your opponent in their movement phase with board control and spore mines. You obviously you're good in the psychic phase and you're good in your own psychic phase as well with Shadows of the Warp. You can stop your opponent from doing things with their psychic phase. So there's a lot of push and pull there. Your, your shooting is really powerful. Your opponent's shooting phase is 
It's going to have a rough time, so your opponent's going to have a hard time in their shooting phase, which is good for you. And then in the Assault phase, you're really good. You have the Swarmlord, you've got Gene Stealer, you have access to Gene Stealers and the Swarmlord and the Broodlord, which are all really good. And then, in general, you've got the Bubble Wrap to prevent your opponent from being able to, to get in your face in close combat. And actually, uh, Jeff Robinson and James Carmona did play, and James won by one point. So just to give you the kind of idea, and it sound from what I was looking at, because I, I wasn't there the whole time, it looked like their lists match up perfectly, and they put their forward threats into each other's face, covered each other's backfields, took over half the board, and then just slugged it out for, for six turns, right? And then James emerged the, the victor by one point. So uh, those, those are the kind of styles of lists you need to actually either beat or play with. And I think Eldar can do it. Eldar can do it really well with Swooping Hawks and Howling Banshees. I mean, not Swooping Hawks. Howling Banshees and Striking Scorpions. Uh, and I guess Wraith Blades. Some Basically, uh, Wraith Lords. Big things that they can put in your face. right? Good close combat threats they can put in your face. They've got a lot of outside shooting. Dark Reapers can be gunline units with um, maybe, maybe Fire Prisms. But probably Dark Reapers are probably your best bet. So you've got Dark Reapers for backline shooting, and then you have a bunch of deep striking threats and Dire Avengers and a lot of Daka, a lot of shooting, a lot of mobility. You can have the Avatar of Kane for some fearlessness. Oh, Tyranids are also fearless army-wide, essentially, quote-unquote. Uh, Pseudo-fearless, pretty much, with the, the Synapse range. That's another reason why Tyranids are really powerful, and that, that ability is really, is really powerful, of course. Just like it was last edition, you, either, you were either fearless or you were garbage. That was pretty much the way it played last edition same thing here um so eldar really good at that eldar can build lists similar to that style with forward pressure and covering the board playing with tricks guard do that really well as well they can they can also do that imperial soup guard pure guard not so much but imperial soup guard can really do the same thing space marines have a harder time with it gilliman can kind of if you're an ultramarines gunline Gilliman can kind of be that forward pressure, but for the most part, Space Marine lists are a lot more static now. Uh, Raven, even Raven Guard lists, uh, especially like like Reese's Raven Guard list, where they they can infiltrate, but essentially wherever they infiltrate, that's where their gunline forms. So instead of having a gunline in your backfield, you would have a gunline like in the middle of the board or in a juicy piece of terrain outside of your deployment zone, and then you've got all these mobility and tricks. So that's kind of the name of the game right now for uh, for. 40k 8th edition and is is covering the board and having as men, as much access to a variety of stuff in your codex as possible right that's the name of the game in 8th edition and tyranids do it the best that's pretty much it that's what i've learned some revelations i've gotten from playing tyranids over the past week or so they've been out for a week now yeah so over the past week or so um when you're playing tyranids some things you got to watch out for i really need to remember the this high fleet's name but the the high fleet that that the anti psyker high fleet that's that's really good uh, because it gives you reroll to hit rolls of one if you stay still uh, it's gonna kill me I, I really have to remember this name but that high fleet is really powerful it gives you reroll to hit rolls of one uh, w- which lets that high fleet's gunline be very powerful um, so that's something you want to watch out for and on top of that their neurothropes are really powerful and they have the ability to stop powers and th- their sh- their par- shadows of the warp are slightly better. So that's something that's something that if you're a psycho heavy army like a chaos space brain army that relies on things like warp time and prescience, or if you're a imperial soup army that relies on like the plus one save from the primary psycho, 
that's that's something you want to keep an eye out for. Or Grey Knight player. Um, the, other than that, their monsters all got a little better. The Exocrine is really good. You can give it two flamers, and if it holds still, it shoots it twice. So you essentially have you have four 18-inch, you know, strength six, ren two flamer shots. I think they're D3 damage each. It's crazy. It's crazy good. And then if it's in cover, somehow it gets plus one to its save. And then the Malanthrope gives it a minus one hit. It's just, just bonkers good, right? So th- there are monstrous creatures that, that are good in close combat and in shooting phase. The uh, the Carnifexes that Reese uses come to mind. They have they're, they have good shooting and they're good in close combat. Stone Crusher. I, I don't know their names. I'm not going to butcher their names. They do mortal wounds when they charge you. That's pretty cool. Uh, so that's something you want to watch out for is is their shooting is really good. Hive Guard or Strength 8. Rend 2 D3 damage shots that reroll ones to hit. They hit on threes and they're uh, 36 or tw- I think they're 36 inch range. No line of sight. Ignore cover. That's really, really powerful. Biovores, I just explained to you, they drop spores, and they also do mortal wounds, which is really good. So they have good shooting. That's the shooting that you really want to watch out for. <clears throat> you obviously want to watch out for Termagants and Hormagants, who are fearless obsec units, and they're going to have obsec because they're going to be pure Tyranids. So, of course, their troops are going to be objective secured. You also have to watch out for Gene Stealers, which can reach out to you fast. They can move, advance, and charge. And the Swarmlord, if your opponent has a Swarmlord, can follow can follow them and use it on them so they can essentially move advance and charge or move in advance in the movement phase and then move advance when the stormlord uses the ability his ability on them and then they get to charge you so they're very very fast and in the meantime when they're not fast they're you know 20 or 30 models of gene stealers that are objective secured that will you know kill a random squad you have in the middle of the board as they're getting to you right so that their slingshot capability is huge so they can reach out, slingshot into a unit, just obliterate that unit, steal an objective, and then they can do the same thing, but into your backfield and into or into wherever you don't want them to be. Um, so you have to watch out for Gene Stealers, and you have to watch out for that Broodlord, who is essentially that hammer. So if you have like a tough character like a Gilliman or a Celestine, the Broodlord can go toe to toe with them. I'm not saying the Broodlord will win that matchup every time, but the Broodlord is just a cool, hard hitting character that Tyranid players will hide in their list to follow things like gene stealers that's something you have to watch out for obviously the swarm lord i've been talking about him non-stop and the psychic phase so so neurothropes and malanthropes are broken they they're just assume that the the important stuff in a chair list will be minus one to hit and i think it might be better to shoot things that aren't in the malanthrope range which is what i've been doing so all the all the success i had against tyranids or all the the times i felt like i was winning the matchups I was shooting at things that weren't in Malanthrope bubbles. That's the good thing is that the Malanthrope isn't army-wide, so there's always inevitably a few units that don't have that minus one to hit. So if you can focus on those units and then form uh, defense or go out of line of sight of the units that the Malanthrope is buffing or just avoid those as possible until the end or until you can get them into close combat. Um, But watch out for the Malanthropes. Uh, Neurothropes, which are uh, basically souped-up Zoanthropes, They, they can use two powers instead of one. They're they're really good. They have full power smites, and they have synapse, and they have really good powers. They they have powers that are essentially extra smites, right? With more that do more mortal wounds. So, <coughs> all in all, when you're playing against the Tyranid list, those are I think those are the big things you have to watch out for, especially their shooting. Their shooting can really get you off guard, right? You would expect the bodies and the close combat, and even the anti psychic stuff. You would expect that from Tyranids, right? Because that's what they do. Um, but Traditionally, their shooting hasn't always been that good. Now they can shoot 
you know, entire Sisters of Battle units, uh, entire Sisters of Battle armies off the board. Just repressor after repressor after repressor, and that's specifically with the Hive Guard. And the reason why that's really dangerous is Hive Guard usually have that minus one hit from the Malanthrope, and they're tough. They've, they've got multiple wounds. They're not just a one wound model. You know, they've got like four wounds. I think they're T5 with a four up save or a three up save. And the Biovores are slightly weaker. So I think the Biovores are the ones that are T4 with a four up save and four, three wounds. And I think the the Hive Guard are, I think, T5 with four wounds and a three up save. Either way, either way, they can give them the ability to reroll ones to hit or or they can they can uh, make leave them to their natural with their natural durability, they can make them even harder to kill with things like Yorm and Gunder. So, that's that's basically it. Their shooting will catch you off guard, and they're also really good at everything else. Um, if you're if you don't have a Codex army, if you have an army like Tau and stuff, you, you will have a rough time. Uh, but just just remember you 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 have to you still have to play the same way everyone else is playing with the the forward threats. You have to be able to deal with those forward threats. You still have to be able to cover the rest of the board and hold objectives. So just keep that in mind. And that's pretty much it. So guys, thanks very much for listening. I, I'm sorry that this was only about an hour long, but we're hitting about 56 minutes right now. And my voice is already starting to get a little tired. So let me know what you guys think about the new Tyranids. I, I had a lot of fun playing against them. They're definitely, they definitely feel very Tyranid-y. They feel the way Tyranids should be played. You know, they're, they're very, they're, they're actually, I think, cooler in person than in the fluff right now. Especially because High Fleet Leviathan just got destroyed by uh, Scarbrand, not Scarbrand, um, called Kabanda and a bunch of demons, a bunch of corn demons, which I thought was really lame. If you read that piece of fluff, and you you know what I'm talking about, uh, but essentially Tyranids in the fluff are kind of neutered and, and pointless right now. Um, so it's cool to see them represented well on the tabletop in all their insect, human eating, smashing glory. Um, so I like the Tyranids. I do like playing against them. I, I like playing against Eldar as well. I think they're very fun armies to play against. And the Chaos, even the Chaos Space Marine Codex. I think the Codexes in general, I, I have fun playing against all the Codex armies because there's just so much going on. And the armies can just do so much. And I feel like the lists aren't all the same. So that's pretty cool. Let me know what you guys think about the Tyranid Codex. And when the Blood Angels Codex and the Dark Angels Codex comes out, what do you guys want from those? What do you Dark Angels and Blood Angels players want from those Codexes? That's it. Let me know. Email me. Message me in the comment section at FrontlineGaming.org under the show notes for this for this podcast for today. Uh, let me know in there. I'll talk back to you. Thanks very much for all of you wonderful listeners, and have a good one.